podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hiya, it's the Weekender and have we got a packed show for you today. I'm Josh Sexton hosting. Joining me are Mike Kearney, Paddy Fitzsimons and Davian Kavanagh. And uh, we've got a lot to look forward to, a lot to look back on as well. Obviously, it's been a big week for Liverpool. Uh, we had the Aston Villa game, the Monterey game and uh, we've got Cy Hughes on the show to talk about his piece in The Athletic, which is looking back at the Villa game. We've also got the lads over in Qatar who are going to talk about a bit about the Monterey game, a bit about their experience being out there as well. It looks nice enough while we're sat here in gloomy Liverpool. We've also got a bit of a treat for you with a Japanese football expert Masamori who's going to talk to us a bit about the Minamino signing uh, we'll also do a bit on that as well and look ahead to the Flamengo game but Mike I'll, I'll come to you first in terms of the uh, the Villa Cup game I know you went on the bus um, I, I thought to be honest my expectations were, were low going into it in terms of what I expected to see in terms of team selection things like that but I thought that the, the lads who played considering the, the, the real lack of experience which was there not, not necessarily just in terms of senior level but also in terms of you know we haven't seen much of those lads at, at 23s and 18s level and I thought they actually performed admirably to be honest yeah, it was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Tuesday, um, you know, we've 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 decided to to do this with the two games in two days. You know, it's, it's not our fault for winning the European Cup and being in the the Club World Cup and being winning winning games in the League Cup to make us go to a quarter final. So, I've got no qualms with the club doing what they did. I, I when the team comes out, you, you, we we played the game on the bus of what's the lowest no, uh, squad number, <laughs> and it was mad. Like I, I I knew it was in the fifties. I couldn't remember what Hoover's number was. Um, but, but aside from all that, you know, and, and the fact that the scoreline was five nil, it it just like the second goal happens and it's a, it's a fluke, and there's a set piece goal which, uh, to be honest, I was sort of expecting. Having watched a few underage games and we went to the EFL to uh, trade games of me, me, you and John mm. at Oldham, and they were they were rusty and they got beat three two, and it was only really three set piece goals and balls into the box that they struggled with. So I was expecting it to be worse from that point of view, but. Overall play with the ball down the right, we were brilliant. I thought Harvey Elliott looks looked the looked the player we all think and hope he's going to go and be. Um, the right back as well, Keanu Hoover, he, he played really well. I thought doing out of position a little bit. He's played right back before. He does MK Dons, I think, at right back. And um, the the one that really impressed me that I haven't really seen much of was Isaac Christie Davis. Mm-hmm. I thought he had a really good game. Centimeters got stuck in as well. He got stuck it? in. Yeah, wasn't 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 shy. And he was against professionals well older than him and well more experienced than him and he didn't look out of place and you know it it feels mad saying it about a, a game that finishes 5-0 at the end but uh, it, it just feels like such a false scoreline to me and that is the interesting thing, isn't it, Paddy? When you, when you're sort of coming away from the game, is that there are there are massive positives to take from it from a Liverpool perspective. But also, you look at the way that Aston Villa acted around the tie, and, and I thought they actually acted quite admirably. To be fair, I know there's been pitched going round of, of El Mahamedy's celebration, saying he's yeah. just celebrating like he's won a World Cup final. But they should celebrate. You know, they're in a semi-final of a League Cup, which is obviously huge for them. But in terms of you know what you've heard from the stories after about Dean Smith and John Terry going into the dressing room congratulating the Liverpool players, I, I thought it's actually you know everyone's sort of come out of that game with credit when you know maybe the only people who haven't had the fixture scheduling lots. Yeah, I think games like that, especially on Tuesday, you gotta look at it with like a bit of common sense. But I think Aston Villa show common sense and decency around the whole fixture. Like if you, some of the players that are they perform for us that have never played against men before in their lives because they've always gone up to the youth ranks, playing lads the same age as them. It's sort of all experienced, all all eleven lads who played they'll have all experienced something new for the first time, whether it be the crowd, they've never played in that in front of a crowd so big, or whether it be uh, the players they're playing against. So I think, I think again, it's, ma- it's obviously massive for Villa first year they promoted and then in the semi-final, so you can't blame them for wanting to enjoy it. And also, like, it wasn't their strongest side, so some of them players are playing for the first time and playing for places in the team for the Premier League as well. So you can't blame them for celebrating and things like and enjoying it. But yeah, loads of positives to take. Yeah, and Damien, what I, what I quite liked about it was that I thought 
they were quite a good reflection of the first team in some ways in terms of that mentality which you think is instilled at the club from top to bottom now it was nice to sort of see that from those players you know when they do go two goals down as Mike said it's, it's a bit of a fluky one from Villa in, in terms of the way it happens but they seem to just bounce back from that and obviously it's, it sounds weird to say they bounced back and conceded three more goals but it was more in terms of the way they performed after that second goal they didn't let their heads slip yeah. and they just sort of kept, they kept the spirits up I suppose Yeah they did yeah Neil Critchley I thought um, came out of the press conference with a lot of credits as well yeah. he really knew what he was on about and he said we gave a Liverpool performance there and I think he was spot on I think all the points that have been made here have been good I mean Liverpool as a club and Villa as a club acted very well very professionally and honourably with the situation the Football League the EFL whatever you want to call them made the right pigs here of it they could have organised something better than that they talk about the integrity of the competition well they threw the integrity of the competition under the bus there but with regard to the performances I go back to me um, days as an amateur junior coach and bringing the lads through from the ages of 16, 17, going into the adult league. And it's just a sheer physicality. So you can throw like um, a flying winger on, or you can have a full-back, or you can have a few of them lads in there. But, the, you know, you talk about, you know, Mike's talking about the goals, you know, the free kicks and the set pieces. Well, you know, they're going to be out-muscled, there's going to be height bigger than them. And they were just a, a physical disadvantage from, you know, from the offset. And I wasn't expecting a scoreline any difference, I've got to be honest with you. And I was pleased that Liverpool played the way that they did, kept going, kept the dignity, kept the integrity, kept at it. And they showed, like, you know, they all showed a man's attitude and the coaching staff did and they didn't cry about it. They got on with it as best as they could. Villa were very noble about it after the fact. And I think, you know, the performances of particularly Elliot and particularly Hoover like I mean they are going to play in the first team and they're going to play a yeah. lot of matches aren't they so the way positives are of it and I think the fact that um, we all knew in advance that Liverpool had been placed in a very difficult situation that uh, you can contextualise the result then and say well it's about the performance there we had no chance we did as well as physically and it is, is a physical game as physically as we could have done we did as well as we, as we could and Mike, you mentioned before, sort of touching it about Liverpool maybe being vindicated in their decision making around it. And I think you saw that with the team selection in, in the Monterey game. I think there was probably a few radio pundits who, who with hindsight, are talking about us, uh, you know, ruining the integrity of, of the Carabao Cup and things like that. But you look at the team selection for, for the Monterey game, and, and it sort of shows why you have to go so young in the Villa game because it's a Liverpool team which is, is pretty much unrecognisable from the ones we've seen so far this season. Yeah, it feels like we're 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 obviously well aware of our injury list at the moment and only because everyone else is so obsessed about Man City's. It, we, we don't seem to be getting enough coverage about that around around you know, national press. It's not... It, you know, we played Jordan Henderson, a captain of the club, brilliant player, never played centre-half. He's played right-back once or twice for us, never played centre-half, and he's next to Gomez. Who's, you know, to be fair to Gomez, he's coming off a bit of a tough time, off a bit of injuries and you know the, the inconsistencies in his performance that he's feeling the pressure of, and him and Henderson are centre-half. You've got me on the right-back, he's done it a few times. And, you know, it was a game that was... The Monterey game was, was very scrappy, wasn't it? They they like a tackle. You know, it, it was a really, really testing game that I thought for us... I wasn't expecting to be, you know, that's just my ignorance, I think, to, to Monterey, to be honest, to them. I thought they played well for them. And I was ex- I was expecting to be at a, a less competitive level. I knew, they, I knew they'd be physical, but I, I didn't think they'd be... Because there's quite a few problems, to be honest... And I know with 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 a big caveat of us saying that we've got two midfielders in defence, you know Allison does fantastic. There's no one of them. The cross that comes in yeah. just gets a touch away from it. That's just a class difference. I'm afraid you know if that's any of the goalie, it probably goes through and it's, and they go two one up at the time. But it's as you as you said before, it's total vindication. We've won the we've won the European Cup, and you can't just like not go to the the Club World Cup. It's a, it's it's a growing um, competition in sport now. It's probably going to get even bigger over the next few years. 
because it's I think they're talking about expanding it, aren't they? To more teams, possibly. Yeah. So you know, we get in at the ground level now. We win our first one ever, by the way, and you know we, it's it's it gives us impetus to go and do more in the European Cup and maybe go again. And I think Mike touched on it there, Paddy, in terms of you know that that team selection. It's there's, there are a load of lads. You know, there's no one in, in that team that you don't particularly rate. There's there's a lot of lads there who you think could do a job for Liverpool. It's it's more just the way those sort of those jigsaw pieces connect, if you will. It's it's a midfield of Lallana, Cater, and Chamberlain, and that's that's a midfield which you already think is going to give you a bit of a lack of cover defensively. I know that Lallana's been been training up in the sixth position, but he's you know he's weaker than Fabinho, he's weaker than Jordan Henderson there because he's literally not had that time to play there. You've got Milner at right back who's who's almost completely exposed throughout the game. Henderson who's trying to do some of the things that Virgil van Dijk does in terms of bringing the ball out but how can you possibly be Virgil van Dijk and yeah. I think you can't really criticise them them lads too much for being thrown in the way they were can you? No exactly I think as well on Mike's point about the integrity in the cup and things I think, didn't we have two goalkeepers on the bench last night like the yeah. squad's very thin on the two ground two right backs as well yeah, yeah. and, and Necho Williams a young lad is on the bench as well I think that shows I wouldn't be surprised if it was Klopp making a point but also listen we're really really good at the minute but we are thin on the ground in terms of injuries which I, like like Mike says people seem to be ignoring Um and you look at last night's starting eleven. You think, well, if you'd have left any of them back, you'd, you'd have replaced them. If, you, if people said like, oh, you could leave a Shakiri or some people who are on the fringe of the squad out and keep them at Villa and bring them with the young lads, well, you'd have played last night. And like Mike says, it did prove to be a really tough game last night. I think them games are always tricky because no matter how much you talk yourself into it, that like, we really want to win this thing. I'm not sure right now until last night we wanted to win as much as they did, and you can't help that. that that's just, you just that's just mentality, and you can't do anything about that. And, to them, it's the biggest thing in the world, and you, you are going on that pitch thinking Liverpool. I'm sure they back themselves to win every single game, but it, it will come as a surprise you when tackles are flying in the way they were, and every every ball means everything in the world to them, and things like that. So I thought we dealt with it really well last night. We could be kept. I thought we were very composed in our performance. We didn't we didn't play their game. I think there was times, especially early on the first half, when it was a bit of a basketball game. It was end to end where you feared that if we got caught up in it, and in, in what type of game they wanted it to be, they could have got a bit more luck. And, and a few more goals than he did because I think their goal does come from just switching off and it all becoming a bit mad after our goal so yeah I think, I think last night I think complete vindication um, on Cops um, starting 11 and also just shows the strength of the squad because anyone who came in last night I thought they all put a good account themselves I found them a really interesting prospect Damien because I, I almost compare them to, to Salzburg and the way they started the game last week it's they, they sort of started like a house on fire, really, didn't they? They were trying to lash yeah. balls in behind. They had lads running about all over the place. And mm-hmm. I think in those games, you always need that bit of quality to tell. But Liverpool just couldn't quite make it happen until until the lads come off the bench. And I think, you know, we talk about the injury list and Klopp trying to rest players and things. But I think you, you, we needed them lads last night, didn't we, to come off the bench? Because that, that bit of quality looked like it could, it could never come, really. Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I thought the first thing when I seen the team... It's like jaw dropping, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought his confidence here, Jurgen, isn't he? I mean, it's he almost really, the maddest team selection abs- of the last yeah, 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, he absolutely <laughs> rolled the dice there, didn't he? And yeah. he went, "Well, here we go," because he's looking at it in in the context of the energy levels that you have to expend in the Premier League. That you know, the fact that how important this competition is to us. That the next game after the World Cup final is Leicester away. You know, and I think that's in the back of the mind. So the sports scientists are trying to manage these players. He's looked at their team. Bear in mind, if you look at also Flamengo were um, a goal down at half time in their game. So you've got the two big seeds have got off the plane miles away and they're feeling their way into this tournament and they're playing against teams who are playing the game of their lives and they've already played there. They're in the zone. That's the ultimate cup tie for them. And if they get any kind of creditable result against these big name teams, job done for them. So that's the nature of it. So for Jürgen then to roll those players in, but like you know, you know, if you when you looked at the team formation, it was like a one-two 
eight formation, wasn't it? You know, and then he had to sort of drag them backwards. Yeah. And that experience and Jürgen's calmness and knowledge, you know, and the fact that, you know, similarly with the derby when all the local fans' heads fall off because, oh, it's Everton, you can't rotate it. And he goes, no, I've seen these. I can beat them with these. So Jürgen got exactly what he wanted. It didn't go to extra time. He rolled a few of the big guns round. Virgil's not feeling very well, so he just says, I'm not even going to get tempted here and it you know it was really good now with regard to the, the opposition yeah you know they were they were you know they were going it was a really big deal for them you heard in the interviews you know like well, we're playing liverpool this is the game of our lives you know this will be remembered for ages they got what they wanted out of it they come out with loads of credits yeah they get beat with a late goal they've scored against us you know and and, and you know fair play to them they can go home and they said well we've got mm. as far as we could have done and probably a little bit further you know in the context think, of the as game well teams like that are used to winning as well I think yeah. you forget that as well like, I, yeah. I don't know how they're getting on this season I haven't played much attention but like they've got to this competition so they're used to winning games so it's not like playing a similar a similar level side in the, in the Premier League who were used to trying to grind out results and coming to Anfield like this is the Monterey side who were used to winning football matches so they're going to go into every game expecting to win no matter if it's Liverpool or whoever I think Paddy was right there about the maturity of our team as well don't get sucked into a game and if we'd have played them Two years ago, three years ago, it had been about six five, and you, w- yeah. you wouldn't have been able to tell who who to, given the personnel that we were missing. You know, Henderson, what a performance that! You know, if you want someone to just go and do something he's never done in his life, and just go centre half, here you go in the club world championship semi finals. Like, and he, and he he stuck to the task manfully, didn't he? Um, thought Kaiser was good, very good. You know, so it was a lot of a lot of positives there, and we're going to see a completely different Liverpool team and performance on Saturday. Yeah, I'm hoping for a much different Liverpool team and performance. I do want to hear a little bit about the uh, about the way that the things worked with the Villa game and the Qatar game, though. And uh, to speak to somebody about that is Sai Hughes coming up for talking about his piece in the Athletic, which just gives a bit more of an insight into that. And it's John Gibbons now for the weekender, and I'm joined over the phone by Simon Hughes, who's written something very interesting this week for the Athletic about how a football club communicates across well different continents when there's lots going on. Um, well, so first of all, Sire, well, welcome to the show. If welcome is the uh, the correct term on your two hundredth appearance. <laughs> nice one, John. Do we get a match ball for that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the big the big two hundred. We've them up upstairs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 an interesting weekend for Liverpool. It's an unprecedented weekend, and Liverpool Football Club have seen most things, you know, within within football, within their illustrious history. But this is a new one, even for them. Yeah, strange, really. I mean, you know, I, I was at Villa Park the other the other night, and um, obviously I wrote that piece that you mentioned with James James Pierce, who was who was over in Doha, and it was something that we sort of spoke about before. Um, before he went over there on Sunday, I think it was Sunday morning that he went. And, uh, you know, even <laughs> even though communication between other parts of the world is, is obviously enhanced greatly over the last 20 years, even we found it hard trying to keep in contact with each other. So, yeah. so to just illustrate just how mad it must be trying to run essentially two football teams out of the same club on successive days in, in significant matches as well. Because I know I know Liverpool obviously plays a, a, very, a very weak team at Aston Villa, but uh, that was driven out of the circumstance, and equally, I don't. I think they were very, very keen not to be on the receiving end of an absolute pasting, which it could have been. Because when I when I saw the team and realised which players were playing, um, you know, it was essentially a C team, wasn't it, for Liverpool? Uh, that's one way of looking at it in, in in old money, I guess. You know, there was a lot of players who would be playing in the reserve team, or sorry, the under twenty threes or the under eighteens who was sort of second in line to play in those teams right, because of all the injuries and, and absentees uh, at the moment. So 
Yeah, it was a, it's been an interesting week. And um, I think Liverpool have handled it pretty well, all things considered. Because I know there were some people saying, oh, well, they, you know, they can maybe leave some players behind in Birmingham and then fly over and make up the bench the next day. But actually look at the bench uh, against Monterey and it was pretty weak, wasn't it? You know, in yeah. terms of numbers anyway. So, you know, they've handled it pretty well. And I, I think what Jürgen Klopp and, you know, the, the staff at Liverpool were looking for were performances against Aston Villa. Uh, I did get the impression that if had, had they won that game by some miracle, you know, I don't think Klopp would have been too happy about it, to be honest, because <laughs> of all the, all the fixtures that they've got coming up in January. And if we're being, if we're being totally honest about it, the League Cup hasn't had any priority on Liverpool's calendar since the first season when, when Klopp got in. And obviously that season, it was a bit of a free hit, wasn't it? In the sense that, you know, the, it was it was one of the early fixtures in the early rounds uh, or earlier rounds that the that, that, uh, that Klopp walked into that season. And I think he saw it as a little bit of an opportunity to to get a bit of momentum into the season because obviously it had been flagging then. But since then, the Champions League and the league takes over. And um, yeah, I think if he'd have won against Aston Villa, I don't think he'd have been very happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, he didn't, but uh, they, they did um, sort of perform well, as you say, for, for the for the team that there was out there. I was a bit worried as well. And I think one of the things interesting in terms of keeping that connection going, there was a couple of things that you've highlighted in your piece and then also I saw on the night, the fact that there's Kenny Dagalish there watching, I'm sure, um, sat alongside Michael Edwards, you know, I'm sure he was yeah. trying, to, trying to give that connection to the first team. And you mentioned in the piece um, that John Achterberg had, had, had run Kelleher as well and, and obviously there's, it came out as as well when it came out on the night that the Jürgen Klopp had rang Critchley at half time to sort of you know pass the messages on and it makes me think that there was a concerted effort amongst the Liverpool first team or amongst the, the kind of the, the management and to say, well, look, we're over here, but we're not. We haven't forgot about yeah. We've not just just written this off, and that we don't care what happens. We care about you, and as you say, yeah, and Klopp might have been secretly pleased to go out, but he but he cares about those young lads and cares about their development and, and wants to see them do well. Yeah, I think it was it was just all about striking that balance between making sure the players understood that you know the pressure was off them really, but. Equally, you know, they wanted to see performances, um, you know, and, and, and pressing upon them. I mean, obviously, a lot of the players are making their debut uh, in, a, in a massive football ground and they're going to be keen to, to to go and make an impression anyway. But I think it was just reminding them that uh, even though they weren't expected to, to, to win, that they were expected to put in a performance. And that, that could, you know, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, last month at least, uh, Nico Williams, who wasn't really in the manager's thoughts, you know, certainly over the summer. He, he wasn't anywhere near the, the touring party to, to the US and he puts in a really good performance uh, against Arsenal and he's now in the, the first team frame. So I think he, he just wanted to remind, you know, that, that even though that they weren't there, uh, that, that they certainly were watching. But I think they also realised, you know, in Doha that, Ultimately, to, 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 to be able to give the level of performance that is needed, I think the players needed, um, you know, to, to have that level of consistency with the, the staff that they were working with. So even though Jürgen Klopp um, was obviously delivering messages to Neil Critchley in the morning and then at half time, and had obviously shaped the team to some extent by the players that he'd taken with him to, to the Middle East, ultimately it was, it was Neil Critchley's decision which team to pick and, 
Um, you know, his 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 imprint was on the night as well. So you've got to get that balance right because I think Jurgen Klopp could have been giving team talks on a yeah. on an overhead projector if he wanted to, but I think that would have it probably just wouldn't have seemed right. It would have been very weird. I think that you know for, <laughs> wouldn't be very normal for players to, to experience that. So I had to feel like a a real game still while knowing that that it did matter and knowing that that, that Jurgen Klopp was watching and he you know he was up late on it. He, he did have it, you know. He did put a TV in, in the street in, in the hotel at the staying in in Dubai, and they were watching. And I, th- I think at half time, from what I can gather, you know, I think Jurgen Klopp decided. I, th- I don't think it was a part of his plan to be getting in touch at half time, but when you're losing 4 0, you know, it can be very easy to, you know, to be disheartened. Yeah. And uh, I know, I know that he was very impressed by the reaction of the players to going four 0 down because they didn't give up, did they? They, no. they did create quite. A lot. They created a lot of chances. I thought that was just really encouraging the way they showed a lot of courage because I think you you've got to have courage to play for Liverpool and particularly in this team. You know, the attitude I just thought was first class from from all the players. You know, they never gave in despite the disappointments of of going two 0 down, having. Haven't dominated the first period, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. I thought they were really impressive. So, yeah, it was it was actually a strangely um, good night for Liverpool. Yeah. I thought, even though they they, they, they lost five nil, um, you know, there was some really encouraging individual performances and collectively, as I said, they never gave up, and that was what Klopp ultimately wanted to see. Yeah, you you talk in in the piece that you know that. Um, you you spoke to someone from the academy staff who said that the mood on the bus was was buoyant after the game for the for the five nil and I think that's a reflection of of how well they did and hopefully a reflection that they can look away from the scoreline and and look at their own performances and, and be proud of the, of the bravery they showed and the fact that as you said that the heads went down and but also the fact that I guess we have to be honest that that some of those players out there. You know, someone like Harvey Elliott will be thinking about how many Liverpool perform, you know, appearances he's going to make. Whereas for some yeah. of them, for some of them, it might, you know, I'm sure it would have been. Well, will I ever play for Liverpool? And they've got that now, and no one can take that away from them, regardless of the, you know, the, the strange circumstances it came. Well, I think there was another line in the piece, wasn't it? I've got to be honest, I think this was James's line, but he, he said that that. that um... That, you know that some of the players didn't actually travel on the team bus; they were picked up by the parents and taken home. You know, um, which you know shows you how old some of these players yeah. were. And I think it, it, it's really important to remember as well. I think that you know this isn't a team that's actually played together before. You yeah, know, it's, it's a, a mix a mix of players who have represented the club at different age levels and have been sort of thrust together for one night only. With the expectation of you know sort of upheld, upholding the club's name really, and I think that, that that's a big big ask really for some of these players because as I say, some of them in normal circumstances, you know, like Louis Longstaff, who you know twelve months ago he'd have been nowhere near this yeah. team if it was played twelve months ago because you would have had Paul Glatzel, Bobby Duncan, Ryan Brewster all ahead of him, and for obviously for different reasons, none of them were available the other night, so. It was an incredibly young team, and I'd, 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 you know, I'd be interested to see if the circumstances were reversed and Aston Villa had to do the same thing against Liverpool. You know, what sort of the spirit would have been like amongst the players? Because I, I, I do feel, you know, to me it was it was actually you know a, a typical sort of Jurgen Klopp style Liverpool courageous performance in many ways. You know that that that's what they delivered on the night. So I think they, they certainly must have. Got the mood right around the players, um, and on the way home, as you say, I think some of those players ultimately they won't play for Liverpool's first team again. 
Um, but one or two of them will, and and, and I think uh, Harry uh, Harvey Elias was was just outstanding. Really, it, it, when it, when he developed physically, you know, I think Liverpool have got a really talented player there because Neil Taylor, you know, was was struggled in that game, and he's a he's a you know he's played a lot of games for Wales, plays a lot of games in the Premier League. Um, and I, I think Harvey Elliott was actually probably one of the most outstanding players on the pitch and yeah. on the actual night. So you've got to look at things in isolation, I think, in this game as well. You know, because as I said, it's it's performance over the actual results. Um, the players stuck at it collectively and individually within the context of that performance. There was um, there was a lot to be to be pleased about. Just before we go, uh, Si, uh, your book, There She Goes, uh, Liverpool City on its own, <laughs> 79 to 93, actually sold out on Amazon, which is unbelievable because I thought they had all the books in the world, uh, but apparently <laughs> uh, sold out, which you must be thrilled about. I have just checked and it is available uh, in Waterstones, Liverpool, Birkenhead, Ormskirk, Chester and Landudno. Uh, they're, they're only the top five they've given me, so I'm sure, I'm sure basically what I'm saying is if people are looking for a last minute Christmas present, it is still available in all good bookstores. So, you know, if people are running around Christmas Eve, something for an auntie or uncle. Uh, it's a good bet, isn't it? <laughs> Cheers, John. That's great. I didn't ask for that to go in, by the way. If anybody <laughs> listening, um, but very kind of you to mention it. Yeah, the, the books also. I must mention Pritchard and Crosby because they they've been very supportive, and I, I live in Crosby, and you know they they've stocked it well. So I know there's some books available there. But yeah, I think I think even the publisher who sell, you've got their own website. They, they're down to the last fifteen or twenty now, I think. So. Yeah, I'm really encouraged by the fact that, you know, a lot of people seem to be buying into it. Um, so, yeah, please, please go out and get it. <laughs> yeah, please do go out and get it. It must have been that special you did with Robbo. That must have been what it was. They've been flying off the book, <laughs> bookshelves ever since. To be, to, to be fair, yeah, I think since that podcast, a lot of people listened to it, didn't they? And, and obviously could relate to it, I think, in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, thanks to the Anfield Rappers, haven't <laughs> I was only joking there, but, uh, but yeah, but no, I, I hope to help. Um, so yeah, if you want to read uh, Size Piece, uh, obviously it's on The Athletic. Uh, you can subscribe through the Anfield Rap. Uh, that does help us as one of their partners. So if you're not subscribed yet, we would ask you to do that through the Anfield Rap. You just go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Rap and you get 50% off as well, uh, which is pretty good going. But um, yeah, thanks a lot to Sai and thanks a lot uh, to you for listening. And yeah, we'll get back to the show. Yeah, nice one to Sai and to John there. Really interesting to hear all that we've had a few of our lads go over to Qatar obviously for the Club World Cup being played out there and uh, we just want to hear a little bit about their experience so here is Gareth Roberts Andy Heaton and Fuad Hassan on all of that Hello then Reds this is the Anfield Raps Doha team so you've got Gareth Roberts Andy Heaton Fuad Hassan and Ash O'Rourke and we're going to tell you about our adventure so far um, basically uh, we got a very early well it was late flight from Manchester later than expected we got to Doha very early in the morning. Some of us slept on the plane, some of us didn't, I didn't. Um, and that meant a kip before we did anything else. And then we got out and about, watched the Reds, met some people. Um, and so far, Andy, so good, isn't it, really? Um, obviously, there were some concerns around this this country, this city, as, being, as a venue for football. Uh, but, you know, being perfectly honest, it's been, it's been good so far. Well, there's none that we've seen. That's it. Seem remiss. Um, I mean, look, there's been a little snags, and that. I mean, I, I don't think the the, the entries at the stadium was managed particularly well the other day. No, that was a bit of a concern. Um, true. Yeah, just with security and one thing and the other, and just a lack of common sense in some quarters, to be quite honest. But on the whole, it's been alright. Obviously, we haven't seen the whole of the city, and you know, there's, there's much broader issues that that need to be addressed. And we'll really get into them now. Just our experience of being here. Um, I mean, by the, the mad cab ride from the airport to get here when we when everything seemed to stop for what I can only assume was a me, the Amir 
of Qatar. The men's we got we, we got in absolutely shattered and uh, then didn't get our room when we got here. But apart from that, that was been absolutely fine. It was just weird the way he panned out. You think I was saying to Fuad before, felt like yesterday was two days. Yeah. It was like it was like two days because we had because you had the big sleep. Well, it wasn't that big a sleep, but you had the sleep in the middle of the day to try and catch up. I mean, Fuad, um one of the other experiences that I think's come across so far is something that we always say really when we go away with the Anfield app, especially when we go you know any kind of distance is that, you know, as much as it's maligned the competition by some and there's been all these question marks in national newspapers about whether Liverpool should be playing in it, whether they should come here, whether they should take one competition more seriously than the other, there's plenty of people, thousands of people right here in Qatar who are absolutely delighted to see Liverpool Football Club in the flesh. Exactly, yeah. I think, I think it's really important to remember and it's probably one of those things you only really appreciate when you come out to these places. You know, you, you've been on tours in pre-season as well as, you know, like the Super Cup. That was also considered a glorified friendly and, you know, when you come out here, you, you see what it means. You see, you know, that semi-final. Uh, I think I've said it before, you know, where, where I was stood at least, there was, there was a good mix of fans that you see, you know, who get to go week in, week out, but then also the fans you get who uh, you know who've travelled from all over the world to, to get here. You know, there's there's a lad on our on our bus who come from New Zealand and and you know people from all corners of the globe. So it, it's great for them because you know it, it is a serious game of football. We've been talking about all the other teams that are out here playing, and to them this is you know this is the ultimate thing. This is the big one to win. So there's no reason to to, to kind of undermine it by any way. And and you know we're expecting nothing less than that on the final as well. I think you realise as well, don't you, Ash? That you know you you are sort of. The media is a powerful thing back home, as it is everywhere, really. And what I mean by that is you can think about this competition, you can think about this country, and you can maybe you know, end up in a particular mindset. You know, you're worried about the rules and regulations of, of a different culture. You're worried about the policing. You're worried about you know, how much actual fun you can have over here and all that kind of thing. And as I say, though, you know, our, our experience so far... You know, we're not we're not sort of washing it. We're not doing it for the sake of any kind of PR. Our experience so far is a good one, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's strange, like it's different, uh, unusual. Um, but yeah, there's been no no issues. Nothing. At no point do you feel like you can't relax or or, or, or just get on with having fun. Um, at any point, really. Obviously, you know when you're going through security and that, that they're really conscious of security here, and rightly so. Um, so, so, so that, that that's always a worry, but it's it's not, at no point of your thought. Oh, this is a bit of a stress, or I've got to be careful here. You know, when, in the hotels, relaxed, everyone's having fun. Last night, you know, we uh, we watched um, Vardy score the pen. Everyone was having a, everyone was having a laugh, having a drink. It was all all, all good, like. And um, we had a chat with a few people who work here, who've lived here for a number of years, different types of people: Sri Lanka, Philippines, South Africa. And they, and they all, you know, they all have positive things to say to say about it. They they all really enjoy working here. Um, obviously, it's a really small sub uh, like section, and you know, this is a a big place with a lot going on, and we're barely scratching the surface. But our interaction of it has been positive, and nothing but. And I, I think as well, Andy, you know, the issues that are clearly here and and can't be sort of washed over. You know, they've been well reported. There's been plenty of stuff out there. You know, Gary Neville's obviously. Done a, done a mini documentary on it, which I, I can't wait to see when I get back home. Um, Melissa Reddy's been out there writing about it, various other journalists too. And, you know, the very fact that Qatar wants to host these events, the Club World Cup and then the actual World Cup in a few years' time, 
any sort of parts of of the country and and, and the you know the workers' rights, the way they've been treated, the questionable safety standards, the lack of compensation for families of those who have died and things like that, all the questionable things, all the reasons that some people decided they didn't want to come out here. Those things are going to have to be addressed by this country, aren't they? If they want, you know, people to come and live and work here from a Western culture, if they want to continue to hold huge sport and events. I mean, that that you know, you can have your culture, you can have your rules and regulations, you can have your religion, but basically, to be part of the world that it seems a lot of people in this region want to be part of, they're going to have to tackle some of these issues. And it feels that even if they are only small steps, they're making some steps towards it. Well, they willingly put themselves in the spotlight, um, which I think is interesting, because you're, you're almost chatting to yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's not pretend that everything's perfect here. It's far from it. Um, but there's other regions in the world... That are honest talk that about. That are honest talk about, probably, yeah. uh, who may be even worse or even a similar... You know, or had the same challenges. So, I mean, it depends what your you know, outlook is on it. And I Look, I'm, I've done some reading on it, some vast reading on it, and it's, I still don't know 1% of it, let's be honest. But I just think that something like this, what are you going to do? If someone, if something wants to change, if a country wants to change, what do you say to them? No, you can't. You can just carry on being bad. You can just carry on the way you are and we can all point and accuse and be damning of you. Or you can make the decision, well, all right, let's see what happens here and let's see what changes you can make. And then that, that, I, I believe there has to be an appreciation and this is my personal opinion, but if you're going to give people a chance to change, you need to give them the time and the facility to change. You can't just do it overnight. It's not like this magic wand that comes in and goes right, bang. Tomorrow it's like Disneyland because you know what? Life's not like that. So, you know, I mean, forget the wider issues are massive and we've got to look at them. But from what we've seen, that there is a will to change. We just have to see how that pans out. And if this is a catalyst or part of the catalyst for that, then all right, sounds. Let's go with it. Yeah, uh, I'm back to the the, the football field. You know, we're seeing a lot of Flamengo fans in, in, in Qatar already. Apparently, much many more are on the way. Um, if we think we've had to do a mammoth journey to get here, theirs is even more so. And, you know, it's quite clear that, you know, they are a huge club. They are well-supported. They get great crowds at home. They've got more and more fans. You know, they're the best-supported club in Latin America. I mean, all of that makes... Saturday even more exciting, doesn't it? I mean, it, you know, we're, we're all looking forward now, aren't we, to getting in the ground, seeing what it's like, seeing what kind of noise they make, what kind of colour they bring to a football match. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, th- there seems to be a bit of history in this game. They certainly think so. They certainly sung about it and they certainly, you know, uh, use it as a, as a thing. And I think, you know, even, even our players, I'm sure, I'm sure the staff and the players are all aware of that as well because it is something there and it adds a little bit of edge to it. And, you know, I'm sure it's all going to be really friendly at the ground, but you know you're going to expect a great atmosphere. You're going to expect a big, a big section of them there, and, and you know loads of ours are flying over as well yeah. for the for the final, which is which is great because you know it is a place where you want people to come in and, and have an experience. I think you know don't want to dive back into all the politics and everything, but you know without actually being here, it, it can be difficult to, yeah. to fully get a whole appreciation of it. And we you know we can only kind of report on what we see and what we experience, but. There's certainly positives as well as the negatives of the thing, and and other fans coming here opens up the conversation even more. You know, I'm sure FIFA and all these other all the organisers are going to learn a lot from this, and and hopefully that all gets fed back up um, before the big one 
the big, big World Cup tournament comes here. So, yeah, Saturday's going to be great. I think it's a final. As, as much as people want to undermine it being a final, it is a final. Flamengo fans certainly think it's a final. They've done brilliantly in their league. They, they've won everything there is to win. Now they've got this one big one. They've had a big rest in between. So there's sort of no excuses from their point of view, really, is there? Obviously, you know, they do appreciate our quality and, and everything. But, you know, everyone wants to beat the big European yeah. team that comes. That's always been a thing with this tournament, whether it's Real Madrid, Barcelona, whoever it is. They're the big ones and, and everyone wants to cause an upset. So can't expect anything less than a, than, than a tough game. And there is, of course, plenty more uh, build-up to that match, plenty more talking about football in general on the Anfield app. If you want to get a bit more on the Qatar debate, we did do a special which was released both as a podcast and a video. That is out there if you want to hear that debate. Look that up. Uh, Jay McKenna grilled Andy Heaton to the nth degree on why he has decided to come out here and follow Liverpool Football Club. He's still recovering from it now. So check that out if you want. Uh, Back to the team in Liverpool. It is the weekend and I'm delighted to be joined by not only Josh Sexton, but we've got a very, very special guest in the studio. We've got Masamori, who writes for the Hochi Shimbun uh, Japanese newspaper. He is the Japanese football correspondent for the Premier League and has been for many years. And I am absolutely delighted that he's in the studio today due to the announcement of the signing of Minamino. So we wanted to get him in, have a little chat about our new superstar. But first, Masa, I just wanted to find out more about you so it fascinated me when when neil jones who's who's a um, contributor to the show works for gold.com told me all about you and mm-hmm. and basically the job that you've had since um 2001 so do you want to start off by telling our listeners how you got your job over here and how long you've been covering the premier league and, and japanese footballers i basically married to english girl <laughs> fair enough uh, <laughs> 1993, but I, I i was a journalist beforehand and then uh, uh since 1998 uh, Japan, first time played for World Cup. So you know, just uh, then, uh, Japanese media started covering overseas footballs. So my job come to 2001 because Inamoto uh, signed for Arsenal, and then Akinori Nishizawa signed for Bolton. Then uh, newspapers uh, wanted uh, you know local reporter, so I've got the job then. Was the was there um, much of an attraction at the time in Japan? Was it the Premier League? Was it getting bigger and bigger at the time? Was, was it the thing that everyone wanted to be involved in? You know, because we, we obviously play in the Premier League. We live in this country, mm. but we don't realise sat in our bubble actually how big it is outside of the UK. So what's it actually like in Japan? Um, you know, that's a 2002 we hosted the World Cup. And who was the biggest star at the tournament? That was David Beckham. So uh, that was the uh, uh, huge uh, Japanese market. It was the uh, big impact yeah. as a, you know, um, English football. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately, David Beckham opened up it. <laughs> And you mentioned about your, your love for Liverpool before we started the show, which is always a, a good place to start. How, how did you get into su- supporting Liverpool? Because Liverpool haven't had a Japanese player before, so it's, it's obviously not the, the obvious choice for yourself coming over here to cover yeah, Japanese football. Uh, because my wife is from Chester, and then her brother, uh, my brother-in-law, is mad to Liverpool fan. <laughs> and I moved in their uh, village called Harden. It's actually Michael Owen's village. <laughs> So my uh, son and daughter uh, went to the same high school as uh, Michael Owen did. So, you know, like uh, the nearest pub is there, obviously, (laughs) you know, Liverpool's uh, supporters' pub. So, 
Yeah, I, you know,、uh, noticed、uh, how much the club loved by people. And also, <laughs> first thing I really loved in my life was the Beatles. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, so, Liverpool is a very familiar name for me. And then I started reporting football 2001. Then I, you know, started visiting whole、uh, big clubs stadium. Then, first time I went to Anfield, that was the, you know,、uh, what, how can I call it? It was really, really electric. I really, well, it wasn't、uh, like a normal place. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't find a word to describe, <laughs> but、uh, that was the、uh, real best experience to me. And that was a Champions League match against Rome. And then,、uh, you know,、uh, you needed to score two goals. Yeah. Back in 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then you did it. So, you know, I, I just, you know, I felt like、uh, my heart. Just、uh, becoming really red. <laughs> you know. And you've mentioned your, your close working relationship with some of the Japanese players who've come over here. And one of them, of course, is, is Shinji Kagawa, who、mm-hmm. went to Manchester United.、Yeah. He, he's obviously worked under Klopp. He today、mm-hmm. called Klopp the best coach、mm-hmm. in the world when he was、mm-hmm. giving his sort of good luck speech to, to Minamino.、Um, has, has Kagawa ever said to you about how much it is to, to sort of work for Klopp as, as a player?、Uh, at Manchester United, he. Didn't really want,、uh, want to、uh, look back his Dortmund days. But、uh, after Minamino joined Liverpool, he, you know,、uh, uh, I'm quite surprised he、uh, talked about Klopp and then, you know, like he actually said he feels jealous about uh, Minamino.、Uh, and then he said he's the best coach in the world at the moment. So I. Mm, it's the first time I saw Shinji's、uh, real love to Klopp, to be honest with you. <laughs> and do you think,、um, from what you know of Minamino, what you've seen of him so far, do you think personality wise, because that's one of the big things that with, with Klopp being a manager, is, is a lot of the players he's signed have,、mm. have had a, a, a certain way of their, their attitude, is a certain way, and things like that. Do you think that Minamino is, is the right fit personality wise to, to play for Liverpool? I do, actually, I do.、Um, oh, You know, I'd like to ask you、uh, something. What's your you know, image about a typical Japanese personality? You know, we are quite famous as a pride. But, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. really have. I've, I, I mean,、mm. I used to work in, in tourism, and everyone I come、yeah. across was, always seems to be really positive、mm-hmm. and upbeat.、Mm. Um, so, and I think our footballers and Liverpool players. Very、mm. much like they have to be upbeat for, for what Jurgen Klopp asks,、uh, asks of them. So I'd like to think、right. he fits into to that sort of personality. Yeah, we are a little bit too modest as、mm. a footballer, and、uh, we are not good at impressing ourselves. You know, sometimes we are pretty mysterious. But where the Minamino c o m e from is a bit different. He's from Osaka. Is a、uh, you know,、uh, southwest Japan, very old,、uh, ancient history they have. And then they are so down to us. People are so down to us. Quite funny. Their accents are very famous、wow. to be funny. And you know, the same thing you say if you use、uh, their accent, sounds funnier. Don't you think that sounds like <laughs> you know,、yeah. similarity as a. 
definitely to, you know? to Liverpool because exactly. I mean if, if you're from America if you're from mm. Australia and you think of a stereotypical British accent mm. it's definitely definitely not a Liverpool accent <laughs> but um, what you were saying there about where he's from mm. and, and how the people are quite modest mm. I think in his interview today that really reflects I think there was one quote which really stood mm. out for me which was I didn't think I would play in the Premier League and I didn't think I would be good enough to fit into this team. Now, that's a really humble comment. And the reason I think now it's even more humble is because when you first come in, you said that Minamino could be the biggest Japanese signing of all time. Mm -hmm. But uh, I heard he also have a feisty personality as well. Yeah, he's, you know, that comment is humble, but he always wanted it. You know, he always wanted to move in premiership. I think, of course, you know, Liverpool is the uh, currently, you know, just the strongest team in the world, mm -hmm. current uh, European champ. And, um, you know, the way he they, um, you know, winning the matches in the premiership at the moment, definitely they are strongest. So... If you are the football player to get in the first team of the you know team like this, it has to be humble. We spoke today yeah. on a show um, mm -hmm. a bit earlier, so we'd done an initial reaction and we were all very, very excited. And one thing that sticks out for us as Liverpool fans mm. is our Liverpool team seem to have ambassadors for mm. their countries. So we've got we, when we signed Mo Salah, we we didn't think he was going to become the ambassador for Egypt that he has. You know, Sadio Mane for Senegal, Virgil van Dijk for Holland. Mm. Now that we've signed Minamino, do you believe that he's going to become the ambassador for, for Japan? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think, uh, you know, um, if he does well, reasonably well, uh, next, you know, uh, six months, well, I think Liverpool will be the biggest club in the Japan. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure, right? Because, uh, uh, you know, that's the first thing. It's not really, you know, good things to say, but we don't follow the team. We follow the players. So, uh, you know, now, at the moment, so many people recognize Liverpool. Yeah? And then Liverpool is already famous enough because of the crop and also current form. So... They can be, you know, the biggest club in Japan. Uh, it actually can happen. And you mentioned the goal against Manchester United in 2013, which mm. Minamino scored while he was still playing in Japan. And, and, and I sort of said to you how it reminded us Liverpool fans of, of watching Philip Coutinho play for Liverpool, the way he cuts inside and curls the ball into the top corner. And, you know, since Liverpool lost Coutinho, they've maybe not had the chance to, to replace him with a player. But I think there's a lot of people who believe that maybe Minamino could be that player now. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that he's got those attributes to replace Coutinho? Yes and no. I think um, Takumi... Uh, has a, you know, uh, can do more roles than coaching, you know, I believe. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but, uh, you know, uh, I think Takumi is a uh, very modern player. He, you know, uh, now I think he's developed as a number 10 player, but he can play like coaching as well. And uh, I think probably Klopp uh, recognized about his uh, ability you know, played, uh, you know, so many roles and areas. And um, 
I think that's the one of the reason he's uh, you know uh, he was picked this time, and um, idea back up for Liverpool squad uh, for this season. Then I think Klopp will uh, you know uh, find best of Minamino. And you mentioned that this, the specific roles that he can play there and, and how he can play various positions. What, what would you say is his best? Because I think there's a few people who think we might have signed him to, to replace Roberto Firmino in, in terms of the, the number nine role, but you've mentioned that he maybe is better as, as a number 10 there. Uh, I think I, uh, Takumi will prove himself what's the best position for him. And um, I think he has the ability to adapt, you know, quite a few type of uh, formation or type of you know or tactics he's very clever and uh, that's why um you know he's got this chance this time and uh, i won't see next couple season development uh about takumi with crop so do you just one last question mm-hmm. then um it, it's a bit like a school teacher question when we get yeah. asked, "What do you see yourself doing in five mm. years' time?" So mm. I'm asking you, as someone who's who's probably watched uh, Minamino for how how many years have you watched Minamino for so far? But to be honest with you, you know, like he was uh, discovered the past two years. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, uh, I recognized uh, uh, Takumi as a brilliant player. To be honest with you, that's uh, too much against Liverpool. So, mm. for with the sign and then, mm. what do you expect to see from Minamino? Not just in the coming season, but the next coming seasons. Because we are speaking a lot at the moment about Liverpool's next phase, Liverpool's next eleven, Jurgen Klopp's contract extension, mm. and we are hoping as Liverpool fans that Minamino will be very much a part of that, if not a main and a key part. Would you agree? That he he could be a bit of a mainstay. Yeah, I think so. But mm. I, what I want to see from Takumi is the. Uh, if I was asked what is you know uh, current Liverpool's uh, uh, teams, what's lack of Liverpool uh, current team is a little bit of blinking play, mm. and then if you know Minamino. Uh, can bring the sort of linking with you know like front three or uh, midfield. It would be it would be uh, wonderful. I think it will mm. be wonderful too, mm. and I am now extremely extremely <laughs> excited to see Minamino come and play for Liverpool and score the winning goal against Everton in his first game <laughs> in the FA Cup to knock them out. Uh, Masamori, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the Anfield Draft. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much to Massa for coming in there. Great to get some more insight into Takumi Minamino. And Damien, it's a massively exciting sign. I think if you'd have said to, to the sort of casual Liverpool fan that we were going to sign a lad from, from Austria for seven and a half million, then you, you maybe don't really bat an eyelid at it. But, you know, we've seen him play twice now. Mm. We've seen him be one of the best players on the pitch at Anfield in a game in which Liverpool won 4-3. And, and it is an exciting, to, it's a sign to be excited about, isn't it? Oh, made up. Yeah, you know, obviously there's a lot of research goes into these things. <laughs> but, you know, he lit up Anfield amongst some other players. You know, in that first game against Salzburg, um, very energetic, wants the ball, always looking for players, you know, and a, and a real player who you know could definitely play across the front line. Um, he backed that up with his performance in the second game. His figures, his stats, you know, seem to stand up, don't these? Like one in three mm. for Salzburg, and you say, well, they are a big deal, O'Neill, but it's one in two for Japan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
And the bargain, you know, it's just someone's someone in a transfer committee's pulled off a real coup here, haven't they? I mean, we sent you know sent Ryan Kent to Rangers for the same amount of money. This guy, I think, is nailed on to be brilliant cover in the second half of the season across the forward line. Uh, while he's bringing himself into the game, if he plays against, say, like the lesser lights in the Premier League and he's effective in those, he can give a game 60 minutes off to any of those front three players. From the evidence of what I saw on our pitch against our team, he absolutely fits the bill in every single way. Yeah, absolute brilliant business. Delighted. And uh, you know what's interesting, Paddy, is that there's obviously not much you can read into it and Damien says there about the research we'll probably need to do into the player, but from the interviews you've seen and from the things you've heard about him from, from certain journalists, it's, it seems like he's sort of got the right attributes as a player, but also the right attributes as, as a personality to fit into this Liverpool squad. And I think that's one of the most exciting things is that you don't expect Liverpool to get many signings wrong now and it, and it feels like they've got another one right here. Yeah, I agree with Damien's point about a lot of research goes into these things. and like the, But I sort of like the idea that Klopp did just watch him at Anfield and, and Michael Edwards did watch him and just go, yeah, he's good. That's what we all. That's what we all did. Everyone watched them. Oh, we'd have all. We'd have all signed yeah. them that night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'd come back to Stanley after the game. Yeah. yeah, we were having them. We'd have had a whip around for the seven and a half million. Telling <laughs> <laughs> you, everyone walked out the ground saying like he looked at playing. And there was a few on that pitch that night for them that you know they were, they were a good side. And the fact that he stood out says a lot about them. But yeah, I think. I think also a point that needs, like a, a few people have made is that like we haven't signed anyone in a while. So that that that's naturally why it's so exciting. And and because we haven't had one go wrong in so long you saw whenever you bring someone and you think well, they've got it right somewhere along they must know that he's going to really fit in and, and the fact that as well like Klopp's not trying to disinterest but he hasn't really seemed too eager or too keen to dive in in the January window like you, you think of the January we sold Coutinho that was sort of always going to happen and even from like the first of January there's talk like it's going to happen at some point but there never really seemed any credible links that they were lining up a replacement or they had, they had an option that if Coutinho went someone else to be coming in he sort of Klopp had made his mind up that well if he goes he goes if he doesn't we'll cope so the fact that he's brought him in when we're doing so well in the league you'd argue we don't necessarily need some, a new signing coming in I think it says a lot about how highly the rate and how exciting the signing could be I think it's that classic um, building from a position of strength Yeah. and the big yeah. question over the summer is well who on earth do you get in who's going to accept going sub who then you don't get a big drop off from and you know, and with the evidence of our own eyes, we've seen somebody, and you think, well, okay, he's twenty-four, he's coming to the big league. You know, in this, in the second half of this season, if he was, you know, to be a squad player and contributing to some fantastic success, which I'm absolutely certain that we're going to be getting, then what a platform it is. I mean, it's a win-win all round because if it doesn't quite work out for him, he can't quite, get, you know, Liverpool will make money on him. He'll get himself embedded in the league. It's just on every single level. This, it is, this shows is the release, size of the it? club as well. Like yeah. how often in the past have we been linked with these types of signings where they've got a release clause and 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 they're looking a good player, but because we're not in a position of strength as, as we are now, mm. a player might go, well, you know what, I'm having a good season at Salzburg. Why wouldn't I hang on, hang on till the summer when it's not just Liverpool who know about this release clause and everyone else has seen me play a few more games in yeah, Europe definitely. and I've scored a few more times in the league. So I think it shows now, like not the size of the club because we're all, we've always been massive and we always will be, but just. The position the club's in at the minute is like players want to come. So I'm sure as soon as he heard that, despite the fact I'm sure he's having a lovely time in Salzburg, they look a really good side. He's, I'm sure he's enjoying playing with that big lad up front. All that <laughs> he's, he's jumped at the chance to do it. When you can argue like there's no guarantees that he's going to get that much football because we've got a, we've got a league title to win and a European Cup to win. So there's no guarantee that they're going to have time to bed this lad. And I'm sure he will. But I think it just shows the, the position of strength the club's in now. Whereas a player like him who's already settled and comfortable where he is has leaped at the chance in January. He's, he's number eighteen, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it just feels very Ronnie Rosenthal to me. This <laughs> he signed him, signed him in a run into a, of a title, and uh, you know he came on and scored a couple of vital goals. Yeah, it feels like that to me. 
Yeah, Mike, what's what's one of the most surprising things about this, I think, is that when we've seen Klopp in the way he buys players at Liverpool, he doesn't tend to, to sort of, you know, be bringing players in in January. I think we've had a few Januarys now where you can almost lock Melwood up early and turn all the lights off when Sky Sports are hanging around outside. But I think this is this is exactly what Damien's saying. This is a chance to uh, strengthen from a position of strength, but also it gives Minamino the chance to settle in and it means that he doesn't have to be sort of thrown straight into the deep end when, when we come to next season and it's already so high octane and we're expected to win every game. Yeah, and look, he's coming to one of the best squads in European football, if not the best at the moment, when everyone's fully fit, you know, proofs in the pudding, we've won the European Cup, we're unbeaten at Anfield for ages, you know, top of the league by umpteen points, over over a Man City team that's got 198 points in two seasons, it's it's not a side that isn't, you, you know, if, that is, if we're looking at this side from the outside and we're chasing this side at the top of the league, you're thinking, oh, how are we getting these, because these are good. So you know we've got to we've got to appreciate from from within. We it's not hum, it's not bragging about it. It's just we're saying as it is. We are brilliant, and he's coming into a brilliant team. So he's he's got lots of time to settle. I you know what I I just think he's going to hit the ground running. You know, I think Salzburg, he's it's a similar sort of high high intensity. It's not really competitive league Austria, but he, you know he he's an he's a, he's a clever lad. He's obviously a good lad of football because he's. he's Look at the two performances against us. It's put him on the map, really, hasn't it? and he's he's played your yeah, Europa League for them before. He's been really good this season in the Champions League for them. I I just think he's going to come in and do really well. You know, I, I, Firmino's looked a little bit leggy lately, and I, you know I'm no Jurgen Klopp, but I reckon this Minamino is going to be brilliant for him. I think it's going to it's going to revitalise Firmino in terms of giving him a rest and also the competition up front, just because this lad can play as Damien was saying before anywhere across the front three, and he, I think I've seen some talk that he can do. Do some something, uh, some games at number ten, but I know we don't really use a number ten that often. But it's just nice to be able to have the the extra legs, the extra quality. You know, with Shakiri, Origi, Minamino, it's just nice that it's not all on one player anymore. Like it seemed to always used to be with Liverpool, one or two players that carried the attack and burden. This now, this is now eight players across, like a ten players across a squad. You mentioned the, the tactical setup of, of Salzburg there and how that's probably similar to Liverpool. But what I've liked to see as well from from the journalist reporting on it is that it seems like the club is, is the club is similar from top to bottom. It seems like Salzburg and Liverpool have a good relationship, and I think you know you can maybe look into them things too much in football, but I think that's quite nice for in terms of his transition, Mike, to to, to go from a place where he's already familiar and as Paddy said, he was settled, and he, and he's coming to a place which is probably actually not dissimilar, really. Yeah, and you know we've got Sadio Mane and Naby Keita who've gone through the the Red Bull. With um, Salzburg and Leipzig respectively, so like he, he he'll, I'm sure I'm assuming he'll, he'll have lots in common with them and, and be lots of like common interests and, and stories about growing up through football, and you know Red Bull have been really complimentary towards us, haven't they? they they've been like made up to do business with us, and they. The, they were tweet, uh, the official Twitter account was tweeting about the rumours, weren't they? And saying, yeah, that's, it's, they were fanning the flames, yeah, weren't they? Fan the flames, <laughs> Look, yeah, they were getting. <laughs> yeah. We can confirm we're in talks, and you know, it's it's, a, it's an honour to be in in, in, in regards to us. Like, it's just, uh, you know, it just it feels like it's going to fit really well, you know. And Damien, they've both mentioned there about Liverpool being the European champions, which Minamino is signing for. I think we're all hoping that by Saturday they'll be the world champions as well. Oh, yeah. What are you expecting from this Flamengo game? I think it's it's always hard to know because Flamengo for us are obviously a bit of an unknown entity, South yeah. American team. They've got quite a few lads who, who are coming from the European leagues, so they've got a bit of mm. experience of that. But in terms of Liverpool's team selection, I think we're we're sort of expecting it to be a more familiar lineup, at least than the one we saw on Wednesday. I think it'll be we? a very familiar lineup from Liverpool and a very serious attempt at going for this. I think this is massive for us. I think uh, this competition will grow in importance and significance in the years to come, not least because of the way they're changing the format. 
the way the world's getting smaller and the way people can get in touch with each other and the way that they can access football, the whole sponsorship thing, everything, you know. So for Liverpool to get, you know, a world championship star on their badge, you know, it's just it's just it's just a win all round. It's an absolutely fantastic thing to do. Liverpool will give us everything. I think you'll see a very familiar performance. You're not going to know much about South American football, are we? From what we can gather, they seem to be playing more of a European style than the traditional Brazilian style. It's a team that plays a high press themselves and the teams who've troubled them are the teams that are good at high press against them. They don't know when they're beat. They're getting beat um, with a minute to go in the Copa America and they end up winning it. So I think, and, and, and what I was you know talking about earlier, the fact that these two teams have now got their eye in. They've had a game in the conditions, they've settled in, they've got in the rhythm of the training and the time difference or whatever it is, and they've got everything to play for. I mean, this is the South Americans are known for taking this more seriously than us, and unusually for Liverpool. And I know Liverpool have got a lot of international fans and fair play to that, but if you're talking about the fans who've travelled over from our area, it's not very often I can ever remember us being outnumbered anyway. So they and they are fanatical for it. They are this is they they, they still they, they still sing about nineteen eighty one beating us when we treated it like a glorified friendly and they treated it seriously and the results and the performance turned out like that. They sing about that in the same way that we still talk about Ian Rush scoring four goals in the derby. <laughs> that's you know that's the level of the song, yeah. you know what I mean? Well I'd like to win this. Um, I think we will. I think it'll be a classic game and I'd like to rob the song off them and, and sing more about, you know, us being champions of the world. I mean, you know, I, I you know football is romantic. You know, my granddad took me dad to watch Liverpool in the second division. We've continued to watch the team. He so much is it with me now. Our little team from this river is going to be champions of the whole world. That sounds great to me. That's amazing, and Paddy. I'm I'm interested to know how how you think Jurgen Klopp will approach this game. Damien mentions there it'll be a much more familiar team, and I I sort of wonder whether you know with, with the likes of Van Dijk, who are, who are maybe seen as a bit of a risk for this game, does he does he you know give them a rest and waits for Leicester? Does he just give them a chance in this because you know it is it's a chance to become champions of the world? And I think you've seen from the comments of, of some of the players, Gino and Arden in particular, I think it was who said you know it's a massive opportunity to make history for these players. Yeah, I think that means. I think I I saw it before last night. I I I took it for granted. I just assumed I was quite relaxed about the whole thing, and I thought before and like I'd seen opposite sides of the arguments about whether you go for the League Cup or the Club World Cup, and I just thought, well, they go to the Club World Cup because they will just win that easier. But I think last night and like it was a wake up call in terms of like this, this won't be hard to win. And like after last night and seeing how much it means to the opposition, and it'll mean even more to Flamengo. I really really want to win it now, and I think in Klopp and the players will naturally feel that as well. I think they'll have gone out as well, wanting to win. Obviously, they want to win everything, but. I think they'll have seen it as right. We're good enough to win this. It'd be a nice little break in the winter time or whatever. But I think after last night, they think, but we're really in games of football here, and these sides that we're playing really want to win. So I think, not that it'd be damaging to lose it, because obviously it is in a way a glorified friendly. I just think, I think the positives of winning, I, I think, increased after last night. Like, I didn't expect to feel how I did when we scored the last minute win last night. I thought, before the game, if you said to me we win 2 1 last minute, I thought, oh, well, it sounded it a bit of a tricky game. But I, I was buzzing, I was made up. We won last night, and I think. The players now will think that as well. I think I think they would all they celebrated it more than I thought they would. I think so. Go like in regards to selection. I think if Van Dyke's available, I think it, it'd be out of Klopp's hands. I think Van Dyke could be saying, "Listen, I want to play. Like I want to be involved in this. Like when we win it, I would have been on the pitch and had an influence and played the part in it." Um, I think some of the other thing. I, I think we're at a stage now where, you know, if Van Dyke does come back and you, Henderson move back into the midfield, but you, you'd be a it's hard to argue Lallana to lose his place. I think they're all playing so well at the minute that whatever side he puts out to be a strong side. And there's a few last night like thought like the likes of Lallana, um, who you know it'd be harsh to drop them. So I think whatever side he does put out, um, yeah, be strong enough to win. And I think they are in a real game, but it'd be great to win. Like. 
I think it's important, Mike, as well, for, for the sort of global branding in, in terms of Liverpool and the way that Liverpool are, are growing. Coming into this as European champions, it's interesting hearing Massa talk about Minamino before and, and how big a signing that is for, for the football fans in Japan and how that will make them buy into Liverpool now. And I think this is another opportunity, and you saw it in, in the Monterey game as well, how much you know some of, the, some of the local fans were really buying into Mo Salah. You heard the announcer saying, are you ready for Mo Salah and things like that before he came on the pitch? And that is the sort of level that Liverpool are at now that we've got these players who are world stars or ambassadors for their team. And I think there's more chance for that to grow if you can say that you were world champions yeah and I think as Jamie mentioned before this this, this competition is going to grow in terms of prestige so all the kids growing up now that are, that are watching this and, and maybe having that as, that, that as their f- like favourite competition like some of the South Americans they, they, they really like it don't they so if, we, if we're in it now and we win it and we show a willing in it and, and respect the competition properly these these kids that are growing up that might be the next best generation footballers might think well I tell you what, I, I like Liverpool. They they done really well there against Monterey, and then they come through and beat Flamengo in a memorable game for, for maybe not for some over in England, but definitely some more around the world. It's it's a it's an interesting sort of football's different now compared to what it used to be, but it's still the same game. So as much as things on the outside change, it, it's it's still literally the same thing, and it will only ever be the same thing no matter what happens. I I. Th- I can't wait, you know. I, I I went to Villa fully expecting and knowing that it was going to be a kids' team, and I was fine with that. I'm sort of gutted I'm not in Qatar because I think it, it's it's I think it's going to be big. Like I I wasn't expecting it ever to be as big as it is. I I think a, a win, but as everyone's saying, you know, the the badge on your shirt, you are the champions of the world. No one, what's better than being the champions of the world? Nothing. I'm not sure about Jurgen Klopp as a motivator, but I'd have, have Damien, Paddy and Mike in that dressing room because I'm ready to run through brick walls for this team. But look, it's a massively exciting time to be a Liverpool fan, of course, and massively excited about the final on Saturday. Massively excited about the signing of Minamino as well. We had a reaction special come out today about him. Uh, we spoke to an Austrian journalist as well who can offer us a bit more of an insight into the player. We've also got uh, more build-up to this, the CWC final coming up uh, where we spoke to someone who was out there in 1981, as Damien mentioned, when they lost to Sao Paulo, and also uh, Tim Vick. Curry, who uh, is, a, is a journalist from South America so massively exciting time to be a Liverpool fan as I said nice one to all the lads in the studio that has been The Weekender Sports Social Podcast Network